Welcome to Antitrust Code by Concurrence. Concurrence is the leading antitrust database with over 30,000 articles on competition law. Concurrence is also the largest network of antitrust experts with lawyers, economists, enforcers, and academics in 85 countries. By listening to this podcast, you will learn the fundamentals of competition law and hear about the latest antitrust news thanks to our guests, the best experts in the antitrust world. Hello, everyone. This is uh, another uh, Concurrence uh, podcast on antitrust. I am with Eleanor Fox, uh, professor at NYU Law School. I'm Frederick Jenny. I teach at ASEC, and uh, I chair the OECD Competition Committee. And we are going to talk about public interest. Uh, so Eleanor, you know that the discussion has been uh, in many uh, countries at OECD and in many international forums, whether the narrow consumer welfare goal of competition law is in fact too narrow and whether competition law should have and competition uh, law enforcement should have wider goals. And within those wider goals, there are public interest goals and within the public interest goals, there are economic public interest goals and even non-economic public interest goals. So what do you think of this debate? Do you think that we're about to see a change in the goals of competition and the inclusion of public interest. Thank you, Frederick, and hello, everyone. Uh, that is one of the big issues of the day. Is public interest a proper part of competition law? I would like to start by saying um, a number of countries and a number of individuals do talk about the goals of competition as it's consumer welfare, um, often they talk about the goals of competition as making the market work and market process. And I see the public interest goals as outside of the realm of making the market work. Um, goals that are not to make the market work, but to achieve another value, a social value that the nation wants to achieve. Within um, various nations' competition laws, uh, there are various treatments of public interest. Uh, some statutes expressly allow and even require the consideration of public interest, such as jobs, including employment, um, helping small and middle-sized business um, access the market better, and Today, a really important public interest goal of many nations is sustainability. The nations range quite widely in how their law itself deals with the public interest. So US, for example, has, it says, no room for public interest other than the usual competition market goals. Whereas South Africa has very explicit public interest built into the law, and indeed they just had an amendment to make it clearer that certain public interests should be more prominent, um, such as the long and heinous left out majority in South Africa should get a better share of the distribution of ownership in business. And then there is, of course, European Union law, which has for many years, um, 
somewhat ambiguous. Uh, but many have said no room for public interest outside of market goals. But recently, there has been an, amend an amendment to that, at least rhetorically, to say, well, sustainability is one of the big issues of our time, and we must take on board public interest. This is what I think about it. First of all, I think that some jurisdictions have been too narrow in talking about the purity of antitrust as must be pegged only to the market. I think nations should be free, as of course they're free, to decide what public interest goals to include. I also think that nations should be recognizing trade-offs where there are trade-offs, and they're often not doing it. Um, but it's clear to me that some countries, I mean, like South Africa, it has values such as inclusiveness and more equality that are so basic, and the law would never have been passed without them. I think that South Africa is doing a pretty good job in recognizing these public interests, surfacing them, and showing with, with guidelines also how they can be incorporated into the antitrust framework. So Frederick, what do you think about the public interest goals of antitrust? Um, should they be admissible and how they should how should they be admissible? Well, my thoughts on this are very close to your thoughts, really. And uh, part of it is grounded in my experience at the WTO on the Working Group on Trade and Competition, which eventually did not lead to, uh, to uh, an agreement on, on uh, competition uh, of the type that the EU was pursuing. But I remember a conversation with Pascal Lamy uh, in which she said, you know, one of the difficulties of competition uh, uh, is that in a lot of countries, people think that limiting the freedom of firms uh, is not justified sufficiently by the desire to promote consumer welfare, because this is a very, very narrow issue, which is the reason why many countries add other goals, which are very important. Starts with Canada, with the uh, promotion of the competitivity of the Canadian firms. Why? Because Canada has this big brother next to it and uh, is afraid of the competition of the very large American firms. Uh, and one can understand that this is an issue for Canadians. Um, so I think that uh, where I completely agree with you is that, first of all, I think that uh, uh, countries should adopt uh, the goals for competition law that they see fit. I think it's worthwhile to say that trying to promote consumer software should at least be part of the goals, but whether it should be limited, uh, whether competition law should be limited to this, uh, I don't think that's uh, realistic. And by the way, I think that the US was a bit of a, an, an outlier uh, from that point of view, because when I look throughout the OECD, I see that most competition laws have pursued several types of goals, some of which are closely related to consumer welfare, and others are more distantly related to consumer welfare, whether they are social or even uh, uh, economic. But I just want to add that Okay, I just said that in the US there's been this firm belief in, in a narrow uh, consumer welfare. I wonder whether this is entirely true in the sense that uh, if I think about cases which are brought by the DOJ, there's one way for competition authorities to include the public interest is through their prioritization of cases. And I'll take two examples coming from the US and I'll ask you what you think about those examples. 
Um, but uh, under the previous administration, I read that the DOJ spent a lot of resources trying to go after mergers in the cannabis industry because there was this notion that maybe this industry was not entirely legitimate or uh, for whatever reason. Equally, during the previous administration, the Department of Justice went after uh, the agreement between uh, four automobile manufacturers and the state of California who had agreed uh, to reach stricter standards uh, than the federally imposed standards of, uh, of pollution. To me, this is in fact pursuing goals which are not directly consumer welfare, but are public interest goals in disguise by using one of the instruments, which is not in the law, but uh, which uh, competition authority can actually use, which is prioritization of cases. I think that's very interesting. So what you have underlined is that in the United States where we say we don't use public interest at all, in fact, the administration's view of what is the public interest controlled their selection of cases. And not only that, those cases were in fact somewhat scandalous because there was no good merger case to be brought. That is, they couldn't win a case for those tiny cannabis mergers. So that's at one extreme of bringing into the antitrust field what is not a consumer welfare issue, what's really either a public interest or a value in uh, issue surreptitiously. Um, I, I wanted to look at the other extreme where a public interest is actually on the table as being properly incorporated. I wanted to raise the issue of distributive effects because in, in US we say antitrust is about allocation of resources. You can't look at, this is the, uh, the orthodoxy, you can't look at distribution. You can't look at who wins and who loses um, because, and this is again the orthodoxy, that you undermine the efficiency. In fact, I think in most of the rest of the world, and especially in the developing world, the distribution issues, that is who wins and who loses from the antitrust enforcement um, is very much on the table and is as high profile as the efficiency goals. So that if you find that, for example, a merger or a conduct is consistently hurting the, the people, the poorer or middle-class people and consistently helping only the elite, um, this is a very relevant factor, the distribution of resources. I think the time has ended when allocation alone is a proper focus and the distributive issues actually almost as much or maybe as much as the sustainability issue is on the table today in view of the increasing disparity of wealth and income and the, the growing gap. People are concerned and they're probably concerned that the antitrust law doesn't simply perpetuate that growing gap. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, and I think that uh, the origin maybe of uh, uh, the problem is the following. Economic theory suggests that if there is competition in uh, markets and there are no externalities, this is going to lead to an efficient allocation of resources and this is going to be desirable uh, for society. But this mechanism, 
is based on the idea that the factors, both capital and labor, are completely flexible and can migrate from one activity to another. Now, we know that people cannot migrate so easily. They cannot reallocate themselves to a different sector because they have a family, so therefore they have a house. And, and uh, if they move somewhere else geographically, maybe some members of their family will not be able to uh, find a job or because they don't have the skills uh, to move. So the idea that uh, there is perfect mobility and therefore we don't have to worry about distributional issue because everybody wins in the end, or at least nobody loses, is not borne out uh, by the facts. And this is particularly true, of course, in uh, developing countries when you have masses of people who are uh, uh, illiterate or have uh, difficulty uh, moving around because they have very few resources, they are even more immobile than in some other. Uh, so in those cases, I think personally that it's entirely justified to think about the distributional uh, impact of competition uh, and that it is a proper goal because we cannot apply competition to a world which is different from the assumptions that make competition valuable. And uh, the flexibility of factors is, and particularly the labor factor is not at all uh, a reality uh, in the world. Um, could, I, could I raise a different issue, which is when public interest issues are treated, how should they be treated? At what stage in the analysis, how should they be taken into effect? into account. And here, I think that in at least in the conversation, um, the EU has taken a very helpful turn. This is DG competition in thinking about sustainability. So the first point is to say you that these other values are not necessarily inconsistent with your normal antitrust analysis. And you want to do your normal antitrust analysis even before you should think about an exemption. And so as far as I can see in the conversation that is evolving in Europe um, for sustainability, um, say two very big companies want to change standards and get rid of all the cheap and polluting washing machines or whatever it is. And the first step ought to be to see whether their agreement is in fact anti-competitive. And it may be, but it may not be. And if it is not, one shouldn't start messing up the analysis, mushing the analysis. Uh, the companies should be pretty well advised. There are many things companies can do that are helpful to the environment that do not harm competition. Then there is the next step. And on the next step, where there might be a trade-off, one ought to be skeptical as to whether that collaboration is really necessary at all to achieve the goal that is sought. And sometimes it's not necessary at all. And companies can manipulate this idea, oh, sustainability, we really want to sustainability look very uh, kindly at our joint venture. They may simply want to be getting more power in the market. So at that stage, an agency ought to be very careful in looking to see whether that collaboration is really going to do something important and predictably important for the environment or whether it's simply a mode to get power. So what do you think about I, that? I, I do. 
I do agree with uh, your view, uh, and and also with the caution, uh, the cautionary note that you add by saying that uh, clearly uh, non-economic uh, uh, public interest issues can be instrumentalized by uh, firms who want to acquire power or want to uh, do things which are clearly detrimental to consumers uh, otherwise. So one should not be naive about this, but at the same time, one should realize that if uh, there is a need for a set of firms to come together because some progress, social progress, requires some coordination between uh, the firms, then there is a benefit there that should be weighed against the anti-competitive uh, risk uh, that this cooperation entails. Well, you and I did talk a little bit about um, industrial policy in our conversation on mergers, but let me just bring it back again uh, in this episode of the podcast uh, to say industrial policy can be called a public interest. It can mean several different things. It can mean a company, a country or its agency trying to privilege its own firms to get strategic power in the world. And I think you and I agree, this is not a good idea and it is outside of the norms of competition law. There is also a lot of use of industrial policy lately, which is not that at all. It's really just enabling the firms to get a better grip on how they can compete in the market. And so South Africa, for example, has been using a lot of industrial policy in a market-friendly way uh, to enable its firms to get a better place in, in a value chain or get their due from their contribution to the value chain. And in that respect, I think we're going to have to be looking at industrial policy in a more open way, not a just negative way, assuming that it's a strategic advantage, but also looking to see whether it's market friendly, actually to help the market work better. Do you agree with that, Frederick? Yes, I, th I think there are, I mean, to me, uh, first of all, there is no opposition between industrial policy and competition policy. Uh, and I think, by the way, uh, you mentioned that uh, in the US, you have a very good mix, in fact, of very strong industrial policy, but respecting the principles of, uh, in the procedures, uh, respecting the principles of competition policy. But what is the scope of application? Three things, I would say. Uh, the first one is the case of a market failure. Okay, so in that case, it's entirely justified that uh, you don't apply blindly uh, competition orthodoxy to a case where competition is not going to bring the expected benefit. Uh, and in those uh, uh, market failure, there are externalities. The second one is, of course, the case where you need the government to help reallocation of resources. We are, for example, in Europe, okay, we, a lot of firms have not migrated to the cloud because it's very costly uh, to them. So the result is that uh, technologically, they are not as efficient as they could be. And anything which is done to try to develop the uh, cloud industry to facilitate the transition, the migration of firms towards the cloud is something that increases uh, uh, efficiency. So this is an area where government can help reallocating the resources by helping some project, while at the same time respecting competition by 
funding competing projects, seeing those the projects that work well and, and abandon the ones that uh, are underperformers. And the last case is coordination. And, and there, the electric car is uh, the obvious uh, example. I'm not going to start producing electric car unless I know there are plugs and vice versa. I'm not going to install plugs if there are no electric cars. So we need everybody to agree and we need the government to guarantee that this is a policy which is going to be to continue. I don't see that any of those cases are cases where uh, that clash with competition law and what competition law enforcement is supposed to do. We're trying to be to facilitate the reallocation of resources to push for the efficiency. So I think that uh, industrial policy measures of that type can lead to complement. I mean, they complement competition law enforcement rather than contradict it. Thank you very much, Eleanor, and we will move on to uh, the next uh, uh, podcast. Thank you. You listened to an episode of Antitrust Code by Concurrence. If you want to read more about this topic, check the Concurrence website where you can find all relevant articles. Follow us on Twitter at Competition Laws and join the Concurrence group on LinkedIn to receive updates on our next podcast.